This is Dr. Saba Maruf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unsung Heroes, stories to inspire here on Podcast Detroit, where our purpose is, is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And um, and we really hope that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. And I'm super excited today. Uh, first of all, I want to welcome my co-host, Calvin Moore. Hi, hey, Calvin. everybody. How are you? I'm, I'm always good when I'm here with you, so oh, it's good. Me too. Happy right. Friday. Happy Friday. And Jess, our sound engineer. Good more afternoon. Yeah. I keep yeah, we're saying like morning. Noon. Good noon. Good day. <laughs> it's only been six, we're six minutes into the afternoon. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> All right, I'm good. <laughs> so I'm really excited. Um, we're going to jump right in today um, with my guest, who I'm truly honored to have. And he's calling in all the way from California. So it's a little bit earlier there, but... All the way from California, and we have Kamran Basha with us today. How are you, Kamran? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you so much for taking time out to speak with us today. Um, I'm super excited. Um, I don't know if you remember, but we met a few years ago when you were here in town at um, an ISPU event. You were the keynote speaker, and uh, you've met up with my brother in L.A. in the past, and so I'm so excited uh, just as a brief introdu- introduction, um, Gamran Basha is a screenwriter and director in California, and he actually serves as a writer-producer on Showtime's upcoming series, which is set in Guantanamo Bay. Previously, he served as a writer and producer on television so- shows such as Rain and Nikita on the CW and NBC television series Kings. And his other credits... Which in- seriously <laughs> got canceled way too early. That was a good... <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that was a great show. Anyhow, continue, continue with the bio. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Get that out. His other credits include serving as producer on NBC's remake of Bionic Woman and co-producer of Showtime Network's Golden Globe and Emmy-nominated series Sleeper Cell about an FBI agent who infiltrates a terrorist group. Which was an amazing show. I loved Sleepy Cell. Sleeper Cell. I'm super so, excited. So I was really excited. <laughs> you, got, you got a fan. I mean, okay, look, Bionic Woman got canceled too early. <laughs> Kings got canceled too early, but Sleeper Cell was my jam. I loved that show. It was so good. Now, didn't you do, um, you know, you didn't include this in your bio, but there was another show. Didn't you, like, um, consult or something for 24 or two or something? No, no, I have twenty four. Oh, you would have okay. had a fan Sorry. for life if you had consulted for twenty. Oh, oh my that was god! <laughs> Where's the bomb? So anyhow, oh, you can say that on the podcast, Kim. Uh, Calvin. Well, Jack Bauer is always saying that, like every season on that show. But anyway, um, so I have um, four kids, and I'm really out of the TV thing. Uh, so, but um, the or you know Showtime and HBO series, but. Um, how I know Kamran is that he's published um, novels as well. He's a published novelist as well. And he published um, the book Mother of the Believers um, a few years ago. And it's a novel showing the rise of Islam from the eyes of Prophet Muhammad's wife, Aisha. Peace be upon him and may Allah be pleased with her. Um, and his second novel, Shadow of the Swords, follows a conflict between Richard the Lionheart and Saladin for control of Jerusalem during the Crusades. So really interesting, diverse, um, you know, kind of... Uh, a very broad range of interests and contributions. Um, so, welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you. Now I'm excited to be on. Oh, we're very excited to have you. So also now you hold a, uh, a bachelor's in arts and an MBA from Dartmouth, a JD from Cornell Law School, and an MFA, Master of Fine Arts from UCLA Film School. And you've spent three years as a journalist in New York City, and um, you continue to serve as a major voice in the media as a blogger on the Huffington Post. So, you know, again, wide range of talents, and um, I mean, that's really amazing, and your contributions. How did you really become interested in screenwriting and film and um, all the amazing things that you've been doing? How did you kind of meld all these interests together to, to, to do this? Well, you know, I, I think most writers, uh, in fact, every writer that I work with professionally is, is born. I mean, they're born that way. They, they, you know, the words are something that take over their mind. I don't think anybody wants to be a writer. It's something that is a compulsion. That writing is, you know, of all the arts, I think writing is the most lonely. Uh, and so I don't think people would willingly choose it. They're compelled to do it. Uh, and so I was always compelled as a child. I, I was writing my first short stories uh, when I was in, you know, fifth grade. And I published them in the school newspaper. <laughs> so my first publication. And so that's just something that, that is inside of you that is, that I guess, given from God and, and, and forces you to do it. I, I, but like most uh, Muslim immigrants, Pakistani immigrants uh, from my period probably unfortunately as well today, but back in the seventies when I was arriving in the US as a child, you know, we didn't really think that something like Hollywood was a real possibility for our community. And uh, so that was never something I thought I could do. And actually so I went down what I thought were the practical paths of, of trying to make money with the one skill I had, which is the writing ability. So I went to law school and I got this MBA and I thought I was gonna be a big you know hotshot Wall Street lawyer and I found out, you know, I was really unhappy as a lawyer and uh it just wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so I had written these scripts, actually a script, uh, a horror movie, when I was in business school, just out of boredom. I had written this script just to amuse myself. It was a teen horror movie. Uh, you know, it was the kind where the, uh, the girl runs inside the room with the, with the guy with the, the mask mm-hmm. and I chases her. I mean, don't go in there! You know, <laughs> Why yeah, is she, exactly. why is she running up the stairs? I don't understand why she's running up the yes. stairs right now. <laughs> well, but that, 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 yeah, and, and those scenes are in my script. Right? You know, the <laughs> go, don't do that. They're all there. And so, uh, so, and I just used that. Uh, I just started sending that script out to to agents, not not knowing any agents in L.A. But I just said, hey, well, let me see what happens. And I should just send it un, unrequested. And mostly people just send me back postcards saying we do not accept submissions from unknown writers. Uh, but one actual uh, agent read it and said, this is really good. I can represent you. And I was shocked by that. And then he started putting me in touch with people uh, at, in Hollywood. And suddenly I sold two scripts to Paramount while I was still working as a, as a lawyer in New York. And I said, well, I can do this. And, uh, and so I said, oh, my God, <laughs> this, this wasn't even a possibility. It literally bumbled into my lap. And I said, I, well, I've got to do this now. And, uh, and so I quit my job and I moved to L.A. and discovered that selling the third script is not as easy as selling the first two. <laughs> and so I struggled for a long time and somehow survived. And here I am. So, so let's talk then about some of the sacrifices then you've made. Like you said, you know, you got here and Hollywood's not necessarily uh, the thing that uh, is as seen as realistic within your culture, right? Um, and so you've, you've sold your first two scripts. Selling your third one's not as easy. What are some of the sacrifices that you've made to, uh, to pursue this path? I mean, the sacrifices continue. Uh, I mean, the major sacrifice I made was financial security. Because, you know, law degree, MBA from good schools, all of my classmates were working at either big law firms or investment banks, and, and they were all making a lot of money, and, and they were financially secure, at least as secure as anyone imagines themselves to be, I think, you know, during the, the financial class of 2000 uh, and and. Uh, we, and one, you had a lot of people that I went to school with that discovered things weren't as secure as they thought. But in any event, 
I gave that up. And I haven't had a predictable weekly paycheck since I think 2002. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so here I am, 2017, so 15 years of, uh, of living, living by the seat of your pants. And, you know, some years you make a huge amount of money. Some years you don't do anything and you live off your savings until your savings go down to zero and then you start again. And so that's a, that's a major sacrifice. And on a more personal level, just I decided when I discovered that I was good at this and there were so few Muslims uh, in Hollywood, and, and we can talk about this more about how Hollywood creates a perception of Islam, and I thought that I had a duty to, to focus on this and try to become successful in this town and rise up to a high level and, and change the narrative. And to do that, I had to focus 100% on it. And so I chose not to get married and have kids, which is unfortunately, you know, in our culture is, is a little unusual. I'm in my 40s, and being a single guy in your 40s is very strange uh, in Pakistani culture and Muslim culture. But even with 100% focus, you know, spending all my time on the career, it's still been a struggle. And, you know, I'm thankful for however far I got. Wow. So, I mean, you and you touched on this, but yeah, please continue. Why do you think this work is important as a visible minority, as a Pakistani American, Muslim American? And have you seen a shift well, you know, in the roles assigned to minorities <laughs> during your time? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, the, what people perceive and what I've experienced as true is that, you know, Hollywood does define the narrative for the entire planet. You know, it's, it's very subtle. But the entire story of, of the good guys and the bad guys of the world is defined by Hollywood. It has much more power than Washington, D.C. Mm. Uh, it has much more power than anything I've ever seen because it shapes the, the beliefs of the entire planet. Everyone watches Hollywood movies. Everyone pirates them if they're not buying them. And so, you know, this industry creates that narrative. And for most of my life, the industry has made Muslims as the villain, right, in that narrative. And that is certainly change how Americans perceive Muslims, that's that change how the world perceives us. And that's still something that while and we and I'm happy to go into more depth about this, but you know, Hollywood likes to pretend that it is a very liberal place and, you know, in, in at various moments it will say, Oh, we have to fight Islamophobia. But the truth is that that's not really people's agenda here. Uh, I'm going to be straight about this. Most people I've worked with, and most people I work with professionally, they don't really like Islam. They actually are very afraid of it. And that's what we talk about the Hollywood liberals. You know, they they view it as a very threatening religion for a variety of reasons. Some of them view it as a very, again, I don't think these perceptions are true, but that's how they see it. Some of them view Islam as a very conservative religion that's resistant to change and the social change. They like to perceive it as misogynistic or homophobic. That's what they project onto it. And that others, you know, have political agendas. You know, they see a positive portrayal of Muslims as, some, as changing American attitudes toward politics in the Middle East. And, and maybe, you know, if people start becoming sympathetic to Muslims, they'll become less sympathetic towards Israelis, for example, which is something that's a very passionate uh, issue here in Hollywood. And so Hollywood has a very deep anti-Muslim bias that I've witnessed personally. There are moments when Muslims are useful in some other political narrative and the moment that narrative is gone, they go right back to the, the, the actual true bias. I'll give you the mm-hmm. example. Uh, during the uh, Bush era, uh, during those eight years, uh, that was when a lot of my career prospered. Shows like Sleeper Cell were being greenlit. We had a Muslim hero fighting terrorists. And that came from the, you know, Hollywood's revulsion to George uh, W. Bush and, and his policies. And the moment Obama was elected, that changed. Because now they got their guy into power, and suddenly uh, Islam became the number one enemy inside of Hollywood. So you suddenly had all these 
negative portrayals of Muslims. You had more negative portrayals of Muslims during the Obama era than you had in the Bush era. You know, shows like Homeland and Tyrant, which I think many Muslims are critical of, blossomed during that time period. And those shows also really weren't interested in having an authentic Muslim point of view on the show. Now, they had political points of view they wanted to express. So I, I've, I've given a long spiel here, but there's so much information about what happens in this town. So now what I'm seeing is that with the rise of President Trump, it's yeah. flipping again, just like the Bush era. Suddenly Muslims are a useful sword against Trump. So suddenly everyone is against Islamophobia. Uh, and this is just a cycle because it hasn't changed the core nature, which is that Islam is either seen as threatening or a useful tool for some other reason. But itself is, is, is not beloved within this industry that I work in. So it's a challenging world. That, wow, that is really interesting that you... I, I want to dive deeper into that for a second here because I actually just had this conversation uh, with a guy out here. His uh, name is Saeed Khan. He's a professor of Islamic studies at Wayne State University here in, in Michigan. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a new show on, on... I want to say it's on NBC and it's called The Brave, right? And it's about this crack team of off the books military operatives who go into places that you know if they get caught they're disavowed that kind of deal right uh, and I, I I love military shows they're they're a lot of fun because I grew up in the military but these guys go in in the very first episode um, the bad guy is Muslim right the bad guy is Muslim and but but one of the guys on the team is a Muslim and he's able to say oh well you know that's not really Islam. But of course, the bad guy is being the bad guy is still, you know, Islamic. And then, of course, you have the people who are just kind of caught in the middle who are just trying to be, quote unquote, good Muslims, I guess. Uh, And I asked him, I said, you know, how do you feel about um, how do you feel about uh, Muslims being portrayed as the bad guy so long as there is a, you know, a good guy Muslim on the team? And he said, you know, it's well, the problem is the narrative's already out there now. It doesn't matter. well, as you know, I mean, as we all know, there are people who think there are Muslims who call themselves Muslims who do very bad things, and 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 you know, we are often in conflict with them. So I, I don't have a problem with portraying Muslim villains because I had uh, people like that on Supercell. Okay. What what I did on Supercell was we had a Muslim hero, and he wasn't a sidekick. He was the primary hero of the show, and he was a devout Muslim who really did in the, throughout the show represent an authentic or at least close to authentic uh, face of Islam for the audience. Okay, so you're and fine so that. so that, okay. I a major influence. Uh, the, the, I'm glad when I see the Muslim sidekick, it's better than not having a Muslim sidekick, right? Uh, but, but the deeper issue is often you will not have a sophisticated understanding of the mm. motivation of these Muslim villains and or any sophisticated presentation of how these villains' ideas actually do not represent Islam. You'll have often... Uh, the writers will just put in a standard line and say, well, we're not all like that. And, and that's and that, better than nothing. Uh, but because most people in Hollywood are not knowledgeable about Islam, even if they don't have a particular agenda against it, they don't have the sophisticated base to really present this entire civilization accurately because they're not a part of it. And it's a challenge in every show I've worked on is that people in Hollywood believe themselves to be very intelligent people, uh, but their knowledge of Islam and Muslim culture is, is next to zero. And it's, it's like a black hole. And so everything you tell them is shockingly new to them. Oh, you don't all beat your wives? Re- really? Right. The father didn't beat the mother? These are the conversations that I have in writers' rooms. Like, what? Are, you, are you sure about that? I, say, I mean, it's, it's just you have to start at that level. And so when you have people writing the stuff who aren't from the culture or, or the religion, then, you know, inevitably you're not going to have the greatest presentation of truth. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Wow. 
That's really interesting. Um, and I can see that. So there's a balance. So, okay, they're mm-hmm. sometimes the um, the bad guy, but, you know, again, if they're on the good guy's team. And, and I think that's what, it, what you're exactly. That's really interesting. There's the complex kind of – we're all complex human beings. It's not just black and white. So and so, do you, when people. And the only way all this is going to change, the only way all this is going to change is, is if more if people Muslim backgrounds start coming to Hollywood. You know, we still have these cultural biases where where we send our children only into the hard sciences, which are valuable careers. But again, we're not sending them into the hard sciences because we want to be like the Muslims of the past, which is break new ground. We're sending them into the hard sciences, medicine, engineering, just to make money and, and be secure. And so and so that and so. The entrepreneurial spirit of the Muslims mm. has been somewhat dampened in the in the past couple of generations, and coming to Hollywood is a very scary entrepreneurial thing, and our culture is right now very afraid of taking those kinds of risks. And as a result, people who are willing to take those risks are 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 define the narrative. And until Muslims start coming to Hollywood in large scale and becoming involved here and willing to go through some of the kind of journey that I've been through, it's not going to change. Is that hard for? I mean, is that hard for you to be out there to be a Muslim American? To, to try to be the, the authentic voice that can walk into a writer's room and say, okay, look, this is the best way to portray us because this is what it really looks like. Uh, is it hard to then hear narratives come out where, oh, you know, liberal Hollywood, liberal Hollywood elites, they're doing this, that, and the other, and they're, they're just saying that, oh, you know, Muslims aren't this, and we know that they are, and, and then you're like, well, I mean, everything you just said was, hey, this is actually my experience as a Muslim American. Uh, we're useful this far. And then it goes back to a particular narrative. Is it weird to to hear this, you know, denigration? I guess of liberal Hollywood, knowing that liberal Hollywood is kind of exactly the same as the people that are denigrating it. Well, I mean, that's that's a joke of it. Is that is that uh, you know, I, I say this often, and people laugh and they get troubled when I say it. Is uh, you know, everyone in Hollywood is a liberal until they meet me. And then suddenly their, their true conservative nature is revealed. <laughs> and they didn't even realize it. And that, that's often disturbing to them that they didn't realize that they have this bigotry and lack of knowledge and lack of a desire for knowledge about this culture. Uh, they don't realize that until they actually meet someone like me because they actually haven't met someone like me uh, in their professional environment and, uh, and someone who's an equal to them. And so that's very shocking. It brings out, you know, it brings out some very surprising moments where people say things that they're shocked that they said out loud. And, you know, it's just, it is part of the evolutionary process. Again, that's the only kind of come through interaction with Muslims. And right now there's, I'm glad to say that, that there's now more than me. When I first moved to L.A., there were two Muslims in the Writers Guild out of 10,000 professional screenwriters. And now I believe there are five. So that's pretty good. It's not bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Long way to go, but yeah, that's better. That's way better, right? <laughs> Pretty good. How do you feel? I mean, you know, how have your relationships been? Do you think that you have, you know, as people, as you have professional relationships, but also social on a social level and as friendships, how does that dynamic change? How do you feel like your colleagues kind of respond to you? And, you know, as they're getting to know you, what patterns have you noticed and, and any shifts? Well, I mean, the initial pattern is first sort of the fake liberal embrace. Oh, the diversity embrace. Oh, you're in the room. You're oh, <laughs> <laughs> token. You know, you, you become the mascot. And then you start and then they start saying their things that reveal that they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, and then you start challenging them and you go from mascot 
to an enemy suddenly. You go from being the little the little liberal buddy that they thought they could have for to say we see you're a liberal every Muslim on the show to suddenly oh this this jerk is uh is is questioning me and making me and is saying that I'm wrong about something and maybe even making me feel like I'm a little bit of a racist. I don't like that. And then slowly you hope to push through that visceral negative moment and try to earn their respect over time to recognize that look I, I recognize your humanity. You haven't been you haven't been exposed to this information before. And as an intelligent person, I'm hoping that you can trust me that I'm not trying to humiliate you <laughs> by making you feel bad about yourself. And over time, I think I've earned the respect of a lot of people I've worked with, probably not everyone that I've worked with. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and that's it. That's the best you can do. Uh, I do know that I have adversaries in this town. I, I know that because, uh, as, a, as one of the very few Muslims that's actually reached sort of a, a significant level of success in this town, there is a growing fear amongst people who, who are not just passively bigoted, but actively bigoted. People like the ones that I was talking about and that have in the last decade created some very anti-Muslim shows. And they've done it intentionally. They're educated, intelligent people. They're aware that they are putting out inaccurate information, but they're doing it on purpose because they need a certain narrative for political agendas, right? Especially about the Middle East. And so my rising up is a problem for them because suddenly whenever it's time to make you know, a political show with Muslim villains, whatever, and people are like, hey, why don't you hire Cameron? And then they have to say, we don't want to hire him. And then they have to find a reason why. And usually there's no good reason, and they end up getting embarrassed. And so, I mean, I, during this whole 10-year period, after, or eight-year period of Obama, during when all those shows that I mentioned were being put on the air, they never once even wanted to meet with me. Seems like Even though I just came off of a Golden Globe nominated series about Muslims. This right? seems like there's kind of like this... Um... And they, they, they didn't want... My agents would try to set meetings and they would decline to meet with me because they knew that I would challenge them in the room and it wasn't about an intellectual desire to learn. They really had... Yeah, we know that on this show when we do the story arc about how Al-Qaeda uh, you know, is working together with uh, Shia militias, that, that that's not true, because, but we need... Iran to be the adversary for our political agenda. And so Americans don't know much about Hezbollah, but they, they do know about Al-Qaeda, so we're going to conflate those. And Cameron will be in the room, and he's going to say, that's actually not historically true. Hezbollah and Al-Qaeda are killing each other. <laughs> and, so, but, and then that's a problem. When you know that I'm going to be someone that's going to actually point out the inaccuracy, mm. and your agenda is the inaccuracy, then that's a problem. And so those people, go for, those people are open adversaries. Uh, they will call people and say, do not hire this guy. Hmm. I mean, I've gotten that back because the amazing blessing God has given me is people always call me and tell me, hey, Cameron, I can't believe that my boss just sat there and just said all this stuff about you to somebody else. The assistants are my buddies. They always call me and say, I can't believe they said that. <laughs> wow. so all this information comes back to me. And, uh, and so that is, that's a very dark level of this town, but it's real. And my reaching a level where they have to deal with it is, has actually held back my career because probably about six or seven jobs that they didn't want to meet with me that dealt with Muslim characters because they knew that I would challenge them. So this kind of thing is out in the news right now, not, not in regards to what you're saying. And that's, I mean, but you are exposing another side of kind of the seedy underbelly of Hollywood, mm-hmm. the kind of cutthroat, backstabbing type nature. And don't get, don't get me wrong. I was just in a theater last night when I saw Thor. It was great. And you know, it was fun. Not as good as the second one, but okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> But right now, okay, so another CD underbelly is a, a lot of sexual harassment claims are being thrown around right now. I believe they just canceled House of Cards mm-hmm. with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was one accusation, then another accusation. Now eight people on his show are saying that he's, uh, you know, he's uh, sexually mm-hmm. harassed. Harvey Weinstein has been ousted from his company. Um, 
So amidst all this, the, the Harvey Weinstein scandal, the Kevin Spacey scandal, I'm sure there will be another scandal here in the next few weeks um, or next few days. Or in the next few hours. Yeah. Uh, how, much, how much do you think is actually known but ignored in the industry? Oh, all of it is. All of it is. I mean, you know, these, as you're seeing, everyone in panic mode putting out press releases. I didn't know. I was never saw anything like this. Everybody knows what's going on. I mean, I knew, I knew what this town was about. I knew a lot of these characters he mentioned. When I first arrived here 15, 16 years ago, I heard stories. <laughs> so that's record. So this is, this, is, this is openly known. It's just, you know, I, I said to people, I've said to people, they, they laugh and they get, they, don't, they get troubled again. I say Hollywood is hell, and I'm not being metaphorical. There, there is this industry with all the wonderful things it produces, which I do believe that there's wonderful art and artistry and great people here. Uh, this, the, po- the power structure beneath it is, for lack of another word, evil. It is people here motivated primarily by, you know, sex and money. That's it. That, they're not here to make movies. <laughs> that's not what they're here for. And so and that's, a, that's a means to an end. And so when that's mm. the motivation of, of people why they come here, you know, it is none of this is shocking that this, is, that this has always, none of this is new. We're going back to, this has been going on since the days of the, of the silent films, hmm. right? And it, because that's the motivation beneath it has always been that. So it, my view is a little unpopular here in Hollywood, because right now, because everyone gets on board, they're fake liberal, I'm against this stuff, you know, because I've experienced the fake liberals for the last 18 years, everyone who, you know, whose opinions change as the wind blows, right? Uh, and so right now, everyone is, you know, openly, oh my God, hard work, all this stuff, they're all saying all these things. This is my view, and it's going to sound cynical, but I really do believe this. This is a process of old wood being burned out of this town, and then a new ugly forest will rise in its place. I know people don't want to believe that, and my friends who are screaming, about it, don't want to believe that things are going to continue the way they always have, but I believe they will continue the way they always have because this industry will always draw people because of the incredible power differential and the glamour and the fame and the wealth that is dangled. It will draw people who, are, who want power and it will draw people who will do whatever they need to get power from someone else. So, so this kind of ugly stuff is going to go on. So it'll just be hidden. I, I got into a conversation with a friend of mine the other night, and we were talking about the yeah. Kevin Spacey thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. of course, my, my thought was like, you know, no, no, House of Cards isn't going to resolve now. But instead of, hey, you know, that's pedophilia. That's not cool. Um, but he was like, I can't, I can't watch anything that he puts out anymore. I can't, I can't trust this guy anymore. Mm-hmm. Can't watch Cosby anymore mm-hmm. and screw all of Weinstein's movies and blah, blah, blah. I said, I feel like mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of other people who are involved in movies who, who are being affected by this. But if what you're saying is true... But the other cynical side of me said, I feel if you feel that way, like if I can't watch a Kevin Spacey movie because X happened, he did this thing, um, I feel like you can't watch any Hollywood movie because this is kind of par for the course. You will not be able to watch And yeah, I actually got into a lot of trouble in the Muslim community because I spoke sympathetically about Wonder Woman, which a lot of Muslims were boycotting because they didn't like that Gal Gadot had written uh, some, an Instagram post where she was sympathetic to the IDF being Israeli right. you know, during the Gaza War. And my sympathies were with the people of Gaza during the Gaza War. But I wrote a, wrote a impassioned thing about how 
the movie itself, I think, actually has a very positive message. There is Muslim sidekicks, you know, and all that. It's all there. It actually has a very, the message of the movie is very positive. It's, a, it's about transcending hate and war. That's what the message of the movie is. And, uh, and I think Talitha Note, as an actress, just ruled that, that role. I think she was perfect for it. I would have been very doubtful what she could pull off, and then she blew me away as an actress. Do I share her political views? No, I do not share her political views. But I'm look, able to look at the work of the film mm. as what it is, as the work of the art. Every human being has to decide like, am I going to watch The Usual Suspects ever again? That's, that's a personal thing. I have seen so much here of good and bad in this industry that all I can do is look at art for what it is. You know, we look at the Taj Mahal, which is one of the most stunning buildings ever built, one of the most stunning works of art, and then we look at the lives of the Mughal emperors, and they're pretty shady. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know because I wrote, wrote a film, I've told to Warner Brothers, uh, about the, the Taj Mahal and its building, and, you know, any romanticized film shows their dark side. I mean, they had brothers killing each other. You had horrible things happening. You, are we going to look at the, the Taj Mahal and go, the people behind it have a lot of terrible, dark, evil things that happen in their lives? Or we look at the Taj Mahal for what it is. I mean, that's a choice. Wow. So what's, um, I mean, I guess, what, you know, what's in the future for you and kind of what keeps you going despite all these challenges in this field? Uh, well, number one, what keeps me going, how do I pay my rent? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> that That's a nice way of saying money. <laughs> that keeps me, how do I actually pay my rent? How do, how do I get out of this? <laughs> that, that, that's number one. Uh, but number two, you know, I found what I love. I love what I do, despite all the stuff that I've shared with you, despite all the garbage of this industry, despite all of that. I love what I do, the, and I would never trade this. I would never go back to being a lawyer or anything else. I, if my destiny is to spend the rest of my life just barely away from being broke and, and making some things I love, that's a good life. And hopefully I can transcend to a higher level than that. But so that, that's what motivates me. And what, you know, what's next is I've got, you know, I've got a dozen scripts that I've written in the last 10 years during which I wasn't getting any work during the, you know, thanks Obama. This is the time to speak out. The Muslims are the problem. So let's, you know, now the Bush is gone. So that, so during those eight years where, where I got no work, I was creating a lot of material that, uh, you know, by God's grace is beginning to move forward. Now uh, I'm working on several series that I'm developing that are, uh, meant to show the Islamic world from a different point of view. Uh, I have a television series I'm developing in Islamic Spain amongst the Moors, which is an amazing period and it's never been shown. Wow. Uh, and, you know, and people in Howard begin to notice that because they're always looking for, they're always looking for how to please the, the Spanish Latin community and here's sort of a, a Latin Spanish Game of Thrones. Uh, I'm also working on a project about uh, the Ottoman Empire and the harem of the Ottoman Empire. Uh, and so I'm trying to do, I'm doing mostly historical projects right now because it's, there's a chance to show a different side of Islam during its, during its quote-unquote golden age, mm-hmm. when it's the dominant and most multicultural civilization on earth. And showing those things in movies and television, I think, will open up people's hearts a lot more than the, the terrorism stuff that I've had to work on. So. Wow, that's amazing. Actually, that's interesting because actually here in Detroit at the Michigan Science Center, we have a 1001 Inventions exhibit that just was just brought actually by a lot of generous and hardworking people in our community. Mm-hmm. And exactly, that's exa- exactly the focus is the golden age of Islam when, you know, we've been taught that it's the dark ages and the middle, at the very least, the middle ages when apparently nothing was happening. But no, there was a lot going on. Middle ages for Western culture, well, yes, exactly. which is how it's all Eurocentric. determined, right? right. <laughs> And our civilization slipped for the simple reason that where the Muslim world the chaos has been going through for the last uh, century or couple of centuries has been exactly because it adopted it went from the golden age mindset uh, of of learning knowledge, entrepreneurialism, risk taking, all of that, 
uh, an embrace of art, music, and culture. That was the central identity, Muslim identity. I mean, we invented the guitar in Islamic Spain. I mean, and now Muslims, they're Muslims now, they're saying music is forbidden, right? I mean, so, wow. so that we have now adopted the mindset of the, the Dark Ages Europeans. We've adopted that. We've adopted ignorance, backward thinking. We've adopted uh, fear. It's like the very example of why there's very few Muslims that will come out into Hollywood. Uh, it's literally fear of, how, of risk-taking. And the entire Islamic world was built on risk-taking. And I mean, and so the moment you cease to take risks, the moment you cease to expand yourself, you become a slave, which is what happened to Europe in the, in the Dark Ages and what's happened in the Muslim world. It was an internal change of psychology that brought on colonialism and all this other stuff, right? And the Muslims have to understand the Quran is very clear. The Quran says God does not change the condition mm-hmm. of a people until they change what is in their hearts. And that's, the Muslims changed themselves, and so then the colonialists and everything else came on top of them, and now we blame the, the effect rather than the cause, which is the mindset. And so I'm hoping to try to change the mindset amongst the community by showing them, hey man, it, it can be done, and I'm doing it. Wow, that's really amazing, very fascinating work um, and wisdom. So thank you so much, Kamran, for being on with us. I really appreciate your time and sharing you know, your perspective and glimpses. Um, this has been super this cool. This is really, yeah. Thank you so much. And I hope I would, we would love to have you on um, in the future with other projects that you're, you know, going to be. I'm I mean, going on really IMDb amazing. right now. I'm going on IMDb right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, thank you for your time. I, and, and I just, I hope that some of the things I've said will be of value to your listeners. And, you know, if there's even one person who listens to this, and goes, yeah, maybe I might want to follow my dreams. Maybe I'll take a risk instead of being the safe path. You know, maybe I should try to see if I can become a musician or, or an artist. Or you know, a, those are the people that are going to advance, uh, mm-hmm. not just Muslim civilization but world civilization. Mm-hmm. And so I, I urge you, if you get nothing else out of this out of this talk, is to you know follow your dreams. It, it, I promise you, it won't be easy. But I'll leave on this last note, which is that uh, I've said to people, uh, especially Muslim groups, when I've talked to them, I've said that the reason that so many of you are afraid to follow your dreams or to encourage your children to follow their dreams uh, is that you're afraid that, that, that they will suffer, right? That they will go through pain. And the problem is this. If you follow your dreams, you will suffer. That's absolutely mm-hmm. true. But here's the other thing. If you don't follow your dreams, you will suffer. You'll live your whole life in the shell of, of what could have been. And so that's this nagging thing that takes away from your enjoyment of the secure life that, you've, that you thought you built for yourself. And when you watch people you know, like myself, who then follow their dreams and achieve it, it actually eats away at you. And so you, you suffer either way. So the only core question is, what, what kind of suffering do you want? And I, and I like the suffering, the one full of wonder and risk. Sweet. Wow. Very cool. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to our listeners. Um, subscribe, share, leave a review. And um, we'll see you next time on another episode of Unsung Heroes. Thank you.